Now Galatians chapter 1. The Bible says, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Verse 6, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another. But there are those who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be Accursed, Paul said. Some very strong words to the congregations at Galatia, but they are strong words that are designed to shake them to their senses. Because Paul recognizes that there's some people who have left the faith. They have drifted away. Not only really have they drifted, they have deserted the faith. And he's just surprised. Now, anybody. Uh, can anybody remember people that you, you've grown up in the faith with, you've grown up attending church services with, and all of a sudden you look, and they once were here, and now they're not? And you're trying to figure, what happened? What, what happened? What caused them to leave and whatnot? And so Paul sort of gives us some insight in this passage on some of the reasons that people leave, they drop out, they desert uh, the faith. And I want to say to us, don't let that be you. Because people can desert the faith and still show up for worship service. You don't believe me? These Christmas, Mother's Day, and Easter folk, uh, they have deserted the faith. They think there's something more special about those Sundays than the other Sundays in the year. Every Sunday is a day of worship. Not just those attached to a holiday. So when I ask a question this morning, are you where he wants you? Are you where he, God, where he, Jesus, where he, the Holy Spirit, wants you? Are you in the right place today with your salvation? And I ask the question because just like the Galatians, we can feel that we are right with God. We're in the right place and our assessment of ourselves can be dead wrong. Anybody ever had the, the occasion where uh, you are evaluated by someone, uh, but they will first let you evaluate yourself? They, they give you a form, you evaluate yourself, and then you look at how they assess you, and then you look at yours. Now, sometimes they are vastly different because we are assessing where we think we are. And we're not considering our real behavior. We're looking at where we want to be. But somebody external, somebody outside of us would just call it like they see it. I need for you to understand God calls it 
like he sees it. And we will make all kinds of excuses for our shortcomings and our weaknesses and our not doing what we ought to do. And God just simply says, well, you have the job description. 66 books. You've had them for 20 and 30 years. Why aren't you where you ought to be? And the reality is, when the question comes to us, we will have no excuse. You have no excuse. It's just like uh, being in high school or being in college. You know the exam is coming. The teacher tells you the exam is coming. And you just feel like, well, it's still a month away. It's two months away. It's a week away. And you think in one night, you folk who like to cram, that you can get all prepared. And, and, and some of you have had to have, have discovered that that just was not enough preparation. Are you where he wants you? So this question is designed to be for us individually to answer for ourselves, not you and your spouse, not you and your children. You cannot be saved for your spouse. You cannot be saved for your children. And in this life, we've got to learn, we've got to grow up, and there's some decisions I've got to make for myself. You love your spouse, but if he or she wants to drag behind, you need to leave them. You love your children. You gave birth to them. You have trained them. You brought them up. You've taken care of them. Now they are adults. They're independent thinkers. And if they choose to die and go to hell, guess what? That's their choice. And some of us need to hear this because you are allowing your spirituality to be hindered by a lazy spouse or by trifling adult children who are making choices to go in a direction contrary to what they have been taught. Are you where he wants you to be? There's a, there's a danger of being an uncommitted Christian. And in the culture that we live in today, we got a lot of folk who profess to be Christians that have no commitment to Christ. They have a commitment to come into church services, Sunday morning church service in particular, and that's all. Uh, they have a commitment to what they hear but not a commitment that allows them to study things they have not heard. So they're comfortable. And, and they don't have the get up and go for spiritual things that they have for secular things. I am just continually amazed at how folk will work like a slave on their job. And the only service we want to give God is what we do on Sunday. Well, very few of us are serving him when we come to worship service. Unless you're leading the worship, you're sitting on a pew, you're not serving him. But we act like that service, come to church services. No, coming to worship is about uh, us identifying as God's people and us praising him for how he has delivered us. But it's also about getting inspired so that when we leave here, we render service on his behalf. So when you have uncommitted Christians, uncommitted Christians raise uncommitted children. And so some people are wondering why your children aren't committed to Christ. Yeah, they grew up in your house, you brought them to Sunday morning services, but there was no Christ in your home. And so what they learn is how to be a good hypocrite and show up on Sunday, put on the church face, and the rest of the week don't think anything about God. Now let's be real. How many of you really read your Bibles during the week. You don't have to raise your hand. God knows your heart. God already knows stands. How many of us really read our Bibles? 
Read to understand, not reading trying to find something to pep you up. How many of us read to really understand? And then take it a little bit further. How many of us not only read, but we study the scriptures? Study to understand, not studying so that if somebody asks me, did you study your Bible? You can say yes. You know, the Ethiopian eunuch was reading the scripture. He just didn't understand any of what he was reading. How many of us are honest enough to say, I read, but I, I don't understand nothing? See, if you're reading and not, not understanding, if you want to understand, you need to ask somebody to help you. All of us had to have somebody teach us the scriptures. There's no shame in acknowledging, I don't know, I'm unsure. The shame is waiting until death time, trying to get some things right that you've had 30, 40 years to get right. So there's a danger with uncommitted Christian. Our congregations can't grow when we don't have committed Christians there. Because we've been called to evangelize, to go out and share the gospel. And so if I am just comfortable with just showing up on Sunday, then at some point my congregation is going to die. Because we're not adding new people. The people who are there are here are going to get older and die. they got to be replaced. Otherwise, the congregation wouldn't be no more. It may take 20 years or 30 for that to happen, but if you're constantly drained, okay, you got a checking account. If you're constantly, uh, Todd, you're a banker, you know this. If you, in your checking or save, you're constantly taking money out and not putting anything in, guess what's going to happen at some point? There won't be nothing in there. And if you start, continue to write checks, they're going to start bouncing. Anybody written a bounce check lately? Okay. Anybody written a bounce spiritual check lately? Mm-hmm. I need for us to understand that when trouble comes in our life, adversity, when problems come, that's when we really show who we are. You want to know if somebody's committed to Christ? Let some trouble come in their life. Let them lose a job. Let them have a health issue. Let somebody in the family die. Let there be some inter uh, strife that goes on in the congregation. Now you're going to see really who's committed and who isn't. Uh, you need to recognize our commitment is to him. And our faith should not rise or fall because of the foolishness of some people. Make somebody mad and see how they act. Now, if they're a Christian, they ought to act like a Christian even though they're upset. But some of you guys know you, you touch some Christians and they act like a, a sailor. You know the old adage about a, a sailor and how they curse? We, we got some Peter Christians out there who still curse, but you still come to church services. Mm -hmm. Okay, you don't like that one. All right, I get that. The environment makes a difference in terms of our, spirit, our spirituality. So growing up in a home where God is reverenced increases the likelihood that you're going to have children who come out of that home who reverence and respect God. Growing up in a home where God is not revered or respected, doesn't matter you go to church services, but in the home, seven days a week, there's no priority on God. You're going to ha have children uh, come out of that who are going to be half-hearted. I say all this to say, parents, many of you missed the mark 
Because you didn't have Jesus in your home. You only had him on Sunday. And your children are the fruit of that. You want them to come to church services, but they won't come. And we won't acknowledge they won't come because I didn't make Jesus a priority when they were growing up. So if it wasn't a priority when they were growing up, he's not going to be a priority when they now have to make choices of whether to sleep in on Sunday or go to work on Sunday or go shopping on Sunday or do my chores on Sunday. So the environment makes a difference. So just like the environment in the home makes a difference, the environment in the congregation makes a difference. You guys have heard me say, and here's the reason why, you know, this is a congregation where we want people involved. We're not looking for people to come here and sit on the pew. We already got enough of those. We want to grow the congregation, and to grow the congregation, we need men and women who understand God has gifted all of us for service. And we need to find a way to get involved in ministry here, to build up the body. Not to drain the body, but to build the body up. So the environment makes a difference. The expectations that are there. Many of you are in, 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 are in alignment with the will of God now because you have people who hold you accountable. If there weren't people who asked, you know, where were you last week? Uh, actually, have you studied your Bible this week? Did you, you talk to God this week? Are you involved in spiritual things? You know, who are you dating? See, we get upset when folk, a single folk get upset when you ask them who you're dating. No, we're concerned about your spirituality. We recognize the folk you date are going to impact you spiritually. And definitely the folk you marry will impact you spiritually. Some of you will be much more faithful Christians. And I'm just saying, if you weren't married to the person you married to. Do I need to say it again like Paul does in the text? Okay, I don't know. Y'all getting angry with me already. And I haven't even gotten into the lesson yet. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to build a case here. You're going to see when we get in text. And then the final thought is that our lack of emphasis on spiritual education is catching up with us. See, we live in a world now where everybody's getting rid of evening worship services. And because of the pandemic, many people have gotten rid of the Sunday morning Bible class or the Wednesday night Bible class. We want to stream everything. Uh, and then we have people streaming and they got the cameras off so they're really not engaged in what's going on. And, and, and we are surprised by the lack of engagement with people. First century, first century church gathered on a regular basis. There's something to be said about gathering with fellow believers. There's a level of inspiration that occurs when we gather together that you don't get by watching us on TV, that you don't get by eating breakfast while the worship service is going on because you're streaming and you feel like you're part of worship. And so as we dumb down biblical education, then look at some of the decisions that people make in their life. It becomes very easy to make decisions that are not in alignment with the will of God because we don't have the word of God in us governing us as we make decisions. So don't be surprised if a Christian marries a non-Christian. If you don't understand the word of God and how God wants you, uh, the kind of relationship God wants you in, you think a relationship is just as good as another. He, she is beautiful, they make money, and, and all that kind of stuff. But there's going to come a time where you're going to need a spouse to encourage you spiritually. Your non-Christian spouse cannot do that. 
So when we get into our text this morning, Paul is writing to a congregation <clears throat> that he has personal interaction with. He established these congregations. We go to the back to the book of Acts. We'll see where Paul established these congregations in Galatia. So he knows them. He has taught them. And that's why he could say in the text, I'm surprised that you guys are leaving the foundation from which was laid. See, when you teach people, you are involved in their life. You know what they have been exposed to. And when you come back and then they start doing something completely foreign to that, you are amazed. You're disappointed. You're disturbed by the fact that they are leaving biblical truth to follow something else. And it doesn't matter that people can give good reasons for why they do or don't do what they do. The reality is you're leaving God. In the culture that we live in, there are people who have left God, but they still come to a worship assembly. They've left God, but their thinking is so worldly that they don't understand if you're going to be a Christian, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, your thoughts need to line up with his thoughts. And what he says is what we ought to be saying. So none of you should have been upset when the Supreme Court outlawed Roe v. Wade. Because as a Christian, you ought not be believing in abortion. So you shouldn't have had a hard time when the Supreme Court made that decision. You should have been upset with the prior Supreme Court when they approved legalized abortion. Not getting a whole lot of amens from the sisters up in here. I know the brothers don't care one way or the other, but I expect some of you Christian sisters to, to say something up in here. And so you got to understand, you, you can't change the word of God just because you feel a certain way. God doesn't, God doesn't give any of us the authority to do that. Okay, sister, let me help you with it. You can't change God's order in the house. You run the house, and your husband is submissive to you. Because with a lot of our church marriages, that's exactly what I see. The wives run the house. And the husbands submit to her. And then you wonder why there's issues going on in the home. And you're not prospering like God wants. Because you're not functioning the way God wants. You can get by with that. You can get accustomed to that. That's not God's order. So, the churches of Galatia consisted of Antioch. Iconium, Lystra, and Derby. And in Acts chapter 13 and Acts chapter 14, you'll see Paul on one of his missionary journeys going into the, the, the areas of Galatia and establishing congregations here. Uh, from Acts chapter 16, you remember Timothy, the young disciple Timothy. The, the text would say he was well spoken of by people in Lystra and Derby. So these are the congregations. Well, these are the Christians that Paul is speaking about here. And again, because he personally established these congregations, he was there. He had a relationship with the people. And even though he's not in Galatia when he writes this letter, there's a connection that's there. And I need for you to understand, many times we are careless with new Christians because we weren't involved in teaching them. And so people will say things that are insensitive to them. They will say some things, yet they may be true, but this person has not grown spiritually enough to be able to hear what you just said and then not 
shipwreck their faith. So that's why you don't, you don't load a new convert down with a whole bunch of rules and regulations. They need to learn Jesus. And a lot of that other stuff will come in time. But we overdose folk on, on too much information based on our personal hangups. And in the course of that, we run folk away. We choke them out. We don't recognize that you need to give babies small amounts of food. You parents, you recognize that, right? As a matter of fact, you don't even give a baby real food. You give them that mashed up stuff. And before you give them do that, you give them just M-I-L-K. Anybody know what that is? Milk. Because they can't handle solid food. And, and so you go years with being tender with what you feed them. But we, for some reason, we can't do that with new converts. We want to give them a steak after they've been baptized two weeks. Can't digest it, can't handle that. And that's also why when it comes to new we shouldn't throw them in uh, to the uh, older adult class. Because you guys say a whole bunch of stuff in those classes that will confuse a new convert. I'm thankful we have a new converts class here where we, where we can talk about things on a basic level so that they can understand it. But when you're personally involved with teaching people, you care for them. You protect them. You don't want anybody coming and just saying anything to them. Because you know what it took to convert them, to get them to where uh, they obeyed the gospel. And you recognize they need time to grow. And I need to say to some of us, stop trying to load down new converts with so many ministry assignments. Because what you're going to do is force them out of a short while to drop out all of them. Because they, they haven't gotten into the pattern of learning and then serving. And it takes time. And if you remember, you didn't do it. You didn't get baptized and then you started leading the ministry. Some of you got baptized and you were wishy-washy for a couple of years before you started actually consistently attending worship service. It's, it's amazing how quick we get amnesia. And we want people to do stuff in a week or two that it took us five years to do. Now, come on. Some of you weren't faithful when you first got baptized. Anybody willing to tell the truth? Raise your hand. Shame the devil. Okay, just, I got just three, three honest folk in the house. But God knows your heart. And I've been here long enough to observe you, so I got a feel for it also. In Acts chapter 14, in Acts chapter 14, let's look at something that Paul encountered as he was ministering in Galatia. Uh, Acts chapter 14, verses 19 through 20. The Bible says, Then Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there, and having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. However, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and went into the city, and the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. I read that to help us understand, even as you go out to try and, and teach people the gospel, you try to restore people, there will be those who will attack you. There will be those who will put stumbling blocks in your way because they don't want to see the work of God prosper. I am thankful that the scriptures reveal to us the challenges Paul went to, and we can learn that he didn't stop 
trying to serve God because of those challenges. He didn't stop before uh, folk tried to kill him. Uh, he didn't stop because uh, folk beat him and things like that. He recognized that he had a charge to keep on behalf of God. And I say this to remind us, don't let the challenges or obstacles that the devil puts in your way stop you from doing what God has called you to do. Now, I need you to recognize sometimes the devil will put a pretty girl in your way. Brother Alex, he'll put a pretty girl in your way to stop you from doing what he wants you to do. What, what for the single woman up in here? Sister Teresa, sometimes he'll put a handsome man with a 12-pack in your way who has a Mercedes and can and, and take you to the most expensive restaurants you want to go to. And you got to have enough spiritual integrity to understand you may be handsome, but Jesus is more handsome. I think I said something there. Waiting for an amen, but I'm not getting one. All right. But these are the challenges because Satan knows what put in our way to stop us. And when you have not gotten the level of commitment that you need to have, it becomes very easy when these things happen. You're looking for somebody, and there's somebody who comes in your, into your life, and, and you put more emphasis on them than you put on Jesus. And before you know it, you drifted. You're, you're not in the same position you used to be. Your level of commitment is not what it once was. And when people talk to you about it, you get an attitude. Instead of recognizing anyone God sends into your life is not going to hinder you spiritually. Okay, I need to say that again. Anyone God sends into your life will not hinder you spiritually. Somebody you pick up off the street may very well be a hindrance to you. That's why, let, let, let God do the picking. Trust him enough that he will pick somebody that's appropriate for you instead of you trying to make something happen. Ask some of these folk who got married because they made something happen. And they'll tell you the truth, I wish I could unmake something happen. Now, there's just background to getting into the text. So let's get into the text now. So turn back to Galatians. So in verses 1 and 2, Paul, Paul says some things to the Galatians to help them to better understand who he is. Now, again, you would think he would not have to do that for people he taught the faith to. But Paul is aware, and when you study this historically, there are some people who came in after Paul who attacked his credibility as an apostle because Paul didn't meet the standard that people thought. So if you go back to Acts chapter 1, when they were trying to replace Judas, you'll look at the requirements to be, uh, uh, for them to replace Judas was that it had to be someone who had walked with them while Jesus was on the earth. It had to be someone who'd been with them since the time of John the Baptist. Well, guess what? Paul wasn't walking with them when Jesus was alive, and Paul wasn't back there with them when John the Baptist was there. So, so he didn't fit that narrative. And so he knows that, which is why he says in verse number one, I'm an apostle not from men nor through men, but through Jesus Christ. And so Paul had to remind them, you know, I, I didn't follow Jesus in person. I met him on the road to Damascus. I saw the light on the Damascus road. He knocked me off my donkey. 
He blinded me. I had to go physically blind in order to see spiritually. And if the truth be told, some of us had to be blinded before we could see Jesus. And so Paul wants them to understand, yep, because that didn't come the way you think I ought to come, that doesn't mean I don't know Jesus. Which is why he rehearses what happened in Acts chapter 9. And then he says, even, I, mean, I got some followers who are with me now. Uh, you guys know from reading Paul's letters that one of the things that Paul believed in was team ministry. T-E-A-M. Uh, there was always a group of people that Paul called fellow laborers or co-laborers. And I need for us to understand that in this life, if you're going to be effective in ministry, you're going to need some people to work with you to be a team because you need somebody to be there to help you when you get weak, when you want to quit, when you want to give up, when you're frustrated. That other person can remind you to keep on going. God hasn't left you. We still got work to do. Because too many of us, when we isolate ourselves, we don't have the ability to bounce back. See, a simple challenge may take us out when we're by ourselves. But when you're working with somebody else or some, a group of people, then there is safety, but there's also encouragement in those numbers to help move us along so that we don't feel like we're in this all by ourselves. And we can persevere because that's the goal is to persevere in spite of what is going on. And so in verses 3 through 5, as Paul is sharing with them really the message that needs to be preached and that people need to understand, he reminds them of God's grace and God's peace. You and I need to recognize we are saved because of God's grace. You are not saved because you're so good and you're so smart. You're not saved because you have, can quote the Bible backwards and forth. You're not saved because you've never missed a worship service. You are saved because of the free gift that God gave us, and our response to that was to have faith and trust in him. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 reminds us that we are saved by grace through faith. Not of our own. It's a gift from God. Not that we should boast in it. Because there's nothing in us that's so good that you and I deserve the salvation we have been given. God freely did it. He initiated it. And because we have his grace, that's the source of our salvation. And as a result of us being right with God and being saved, a byproduct of that is you and I have peace. There are many people in the world who have all the comforts of the world, and yet they kill themselves because they don't have no peace. So you start learning that having all the money, all the material possessions that you want, there are people who got it already who still are hungering and thirsting for something. So don't, don't, don't tie yourself up into those things thinking that they're going to make everything okay because the folk who got it are still not satisfied. That's because they need Jesus. They need God in their lives. And when we can get on the right track with Jesus and place him in our lives where it ought to be, you will discover a level of satisfaction that you didn't have by trying to carve and scratch for kind of stuff. See, you can be happy and be poor. Yeah, you can be happy without going back to school for another degree. You can be happy uh, and not have the biggest house on the street. See, we fail to realize the more stuff you get, 
the more worry and concern that you got to have to maintain that stuff. Or the more money you got to find to pay the bills associated with that stuff. So you and I need to appreciate the fact that one of the byproducts of being right with God is not only that we're the recipients of his grace, but that we also have peace. Keeping law does not offer grace or peace. Keeping law, being a legalist, trying to measure up and make sure I, 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 I do everything in the law, causes you to keep looking at the law. And what you'll discover is that there's always more you got to do. You cannot afford to mess up because once you miss one of those commandments or those statements, you're in trouble. Grace is so much easier. I don't have to be trying to count up how many times I've messed up, how many times I've asked for forgiveness of sin, how many times I've confessed. Because he lets me know he's gracious. Uh, whenever I open the door and say, Lord, please forgive me, he does it. That's something we got to understand, and that's something we need to be able to convey to people who are outside of Christ. But not only that, uh, Paul tells us in verse number four, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from the present evil age or the present evil system according to the will of God. You and I need to recognize that, that our central message that we need to convey to people who are lost, people who are searching for Jesus, is that Jesus died for their sins. Their salvation in a relationship with Jesus. We need to point people to Jesus because if we point them to Jesus, they will have an example that will never let them down. See, if you point them to yourself or to other church members, we will eventually let folk down. We're going to eventually mess up, make a mistake, say something we shouldn't say, not act the same consistently. You don't have those issues with Jesus. His word does not change. He's the same yesterday, today, forever. So help people to understand Jesus died for their sins. And then you understand you didn't die for nobody. So stop trying to be the savior of folk. That's the role only Jesus can do. You can help people, but you're not a savior. And some of you take on folks' problems as if you're the savior. And sometimes you gotta remind the person, you got yourself in this mess, and you're gonna have to get yourself out of the mess. But you can get out of the mess with Jesus. They gotta wanna get out of the mess, not you want it for them. And I see too many people wanting good things for other folks, but those people don't want it for themselves. So you worry yourself out, you stress yourself out. You unhappy, they going on with their life. Who gave himself for our sins. Help them to understand and meet Jesus. And then he says, Jesus did all this to deliver us from this present evil age. Jesus didn't die so you can be an educated heathen. Uh, Jesus didn't die so you can be a legalistic Pharisee. Uh, Jesus didn't die so you can create your own standards of righteousness. He died to deliver us from this evil system. The world that we live in is evil. You and I have to go out at least five or six days a week and work in this evil world. But you don't have to let the world take over you. So we're in the world, but not of the world. And that's a challenge, that's a balancing act you and I got to deal with on a daily basis. Because if you're not careful, you start acting like the folk you work with or the folk you live next to 
or the folk you go to school with who practice situational ethics. They don't have a consistent standard that governs how they live their life. Question, do you think like this age? Are you a cultural Christian? Are, are, do you go along to get along and, and, and your goal is, well, I don't want to cause no friction. I, I want everybody to be happy. Uh, uh, do you believe that everybody's right? Because we've got people who believe that. And, and you have to understand, if there is a, a standard, then everybody can't be right when they don't measure up to the standard. Two plus two is four. And they don't care how many people say two plus two is five. Come on, you guys learned that way 50 years ago. And if you forget, pull out your calculator. Even your cell phone has a calculator on. So if you forget how to add, you pull that out. Instead of going along with stuff that you know is not right. Who is your Supreme Court? God or the judges in uh, Washington? See, my king is King Jesus. I don't care who's in the White House. Now I'm going to vote. Uh, when the election time comes, but if the person I vote for doesn't get, my, my face is in Jesus. Amen. It's not in Biden or Trump. It wasn't even in Obama when he was in the office. My face was in Jesus then, and it's going to continue to be with Jesus. Amen. See, politicians will let you down. Amen. They will do some things you like, but the same person you voted for and you like will come up and agree to some stuff, and you're trying to figure out where that came from. He's a politician, or she's a politician. They want to get in office. So God came, Jesus came to deliver us from getting caught up in this selfishness that goes on in the world where everybody's concerned about what's in it for me and building up my stash. See, we, we, don't, we don't know enough to recognize you can amass millions of dollars and die before you can spend any of it. And the folk you leave it to will squander it, won't care nothing about spending it the way you want to. Okay, you don't believe. Uh, uh, die and leave your children the house that you struggled for for 20 or 30 years to pay for. These same children, the moment you die, will sell that house. Don't care nothing about no memories. They care about the money. So he reminds us that we need to help people understand this message about Jesus dying for them, that he came to deliver us from thinking like the world. So the world says Sunday is just another day of the week. As a matter of fact, if I've had a hard week, then Sunday becomes my day to do my thing. So I want to go shopping on Sunday. So that's a priority. I want, I want to go uh, and, and sleep late because I have to get up early all, you know, every day to go to work. Uh, I haven't had a chance to do it in my household chores, so that's what I'm going to do on Sunday. That's the way the world thinks. And don't let a holiday fall on a Sunday. We forget that it's Sunday. We focus on the holiday. And by the way, Christmas is on a Monday this year, not on a Sunday. So don't start your celebrating for Christmas <laughs> early and decide to take off on Sunday. Now, I'm not saying don't travel. If you travel, wherever it is you go, you need to go to church service on Sunday. And some of us, when we go out of town and we're not around church folk, we don't always go to church services. 
We will say we went. When we come back and we ask you, did you go? but since we weren't there, we don't know. And then you don't bring back a bulletin or anything that proves that you were there. See, because we've gotten slick. I can stream the service. And I can be in my hotel room or out uh, eating lunch and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, we, we know the tricks of the trade. But remember, Jesus' death was to deliver us or rescue us from thinking like the world. See, for the child of God, Sunday is special. There are some things I'm going to do on Sunday I don't do all week long. There are some things that if I have not done it Monday through Saturday, it just won't get done on Sunday. See, that's why we don't need to bog Sunday down with a whole lot of meetings and stuff like that. It, it will mess up your appreciation for worship and whatnot. Because these folks act crazy sometimes in some of these Sunday meetings. And it will mess up your spirit. So you need to be careful about that. He said he did all of this according to the will of God. Well, the will of God was for Jesus to die on the cross. The will of God is for us to surrender to him because of the sacrifices he's made. We sing, I surrender all. You, you guys know the song. You love it. That sounds pretty. But when you assess, have you really surrendered all? Have you surrendered your will to his will? Have you surrendered your checkbook to God, your credit card to God? Ha have you committed your time to God? Have you committed your children to God? And sometimes when we look honestly at those things, we have to come back and say, no, I haven't done that. And so when, you, when time goes on and things are not the way they ought to be, don't be mad at God. You need to be mad at yourself because you didn't prioritize that. I, I'm amazed. Uh, Sebastian is 22. It does not seem like he's been in the world 22 years. But what I would tell you, uh, parents of small children, that time goes by fast. Right now, you're sick and tired of them tearing up the house and stuff like that. Before too long, that's going to be past. Before too long, they're going to be in high school. You blink your eyes a few times, they graduated from high school. Yep. Cherish those times when they're younger. Put some God in them while they're younger, <coughs> where their loyalty is not divided between all this other stuff, because you're not going to have that opportunity once they are grown like you. You guys know an 18-year-old thinks they're grown, but they're just a child, just like a 10 or 11-year-old, child in terms of their thinking. Their body says adult, but their mind isn't. Which is why your, 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 your emerging young adult does some stupid things. They're still a child. Now, I know an 18 year old don't like to hear it, but from an adult perspective who observes you, we see it. Paul says, now because of all this, and, and because I know what you have been exposed to, I marvel now. I marvel. He says, verse number six, I marvel that you are turning away as, as soon from him who called you in the grace of God to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel. Paul says, I marvel. I'm surprised. I'm just disappointed. I spent all that time teaching you, and, and after I'm gone, you let some people come behind me and teach you some crazy stuff, and you fall for it. Be careful of who you let teach you. 
Be careful of all the stuff you, you consume from the internet, all these podcasts and all these televangelists that you watch. So one of the things that, that streaming technology has given to us is now you can go into the worship services of any congregation that has this, uh, this technology. And people are hearing some stuff in other parts of the country and trying to figure, why can't we do it here? Well, you're not evaluating, is what you're hearing biblical? The fact that there are people over there who go along with it does not mean it honors God. It just means there's a group of people who've been assembled over there who fall in line with this teaching. And so what Paul helps these uh, Galatians understand, first of all, is that when you follow after this different gospel, this mixture of the grace teaching of Scripture with other stuff, you really are deserting God. So some people would think, oh, uh, we just got a greater sense of enlightenment. You, you people are old-fashioned. Uh, you're stuck in the mud and whatnot. No, we're sticking with what the Word of God has to say. We're sticking with safe ground. We're not venturing into territories where, that we don't have a thus saith the Lord. And a lot of this new innovation that some of you like, the reality is there's no scriptural basis for it. And so it opens the door to a whole lot of other things that you cannot regulate based on scripture. Because once you open one door, people are going to say, well, why can't you open another one? You don't have no scripture for this, and you're doing that, but why can't we do this? And you cannot say no to them because they're right. This door you open, you had no scripture for it. You let that go on, somebody's going to come up with the other thing. That's why we end up with congregations where there are women preachers and women elders. Clear violation of scripture, but because people open doors where they allow unscriptural practices to go on, you can't now stop it now. So they were deserting God. Paul was surprised by the Christians who were de deserting God. He was not surprised by the false teachers. False teachers are going to do what false teachers do. We just teach stuff that's false. You don't expect Christians to desert God. Now, the average person who has deserted God won't say, I deserted God. Oh, I'm searching for something else. Well, what else is there? Paul already said, there's no other gospel. And so you're being led by your feelings and emotions or whatever is leading you, but it's not the spirit of God. And so you're not going to find happiness until you settle down in a relationship with Jesus. You and I need to recognize false teachers will be held accountable by God. So that's why I don't spend a whole lot of time talking about these false teachers that are on TV and on the radio. God's going to deal with them. God's going to deal with them. What I will do is spend time talking about us. Because just like God is going to deal with false teachers, he's also going to deal with Christians who fall away, who get distracted, who go in the other, other, uh, other fold, who start following another shepherd other than the one that Scripture has laid out. So people don't understand when you follow after false doctrine, it doesn't have to be 100% false. All it takes is 1% false, and it violates scripture. 1%. And some of these people that many people turn to, they say a whole lot of good things, and they say a whole lot of biblical things, but let us talk about salvation, and you're going to see where they weigh off. And so a person who's going to be off on something that's so essential 
to your eternal state, how are you going to trust them with other stuff? So to, to desert the gospel means to leave God, but more importantly, it means to leave God's grace. None of us can survive without the grace of God. Amen. See, the grace of God will excuse bad behavior when you repent of it. That's why you need grace. Law won't excuse it. Law says you are a sinner and you deserve to be punished. Grace says, because you're in Christ, when I see you, I see my son Jesus. And so I have no choice but to forgive you. So Paul issues his final warning in verses 8 and 9. Even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. See, this is why you need to know what the Bible says for yourself. This is why you need to check behind every teacher to make sure the things that that person is saying is actually supported by Scripture. Do your due diligence. Reread your notes when you go home, if you take notes. So that you don't take from a lesson something that was said that you later find is not biblical. So Paul gives a hypothetical situation in the text. If we or an angel preach some other gospel, that, that's how Paul is not going to preach anything different than what he taught him before. And there's no angel that's coming from heaven that's going to preach something foreign. But he used this far-fetched example to catch their attention, to say it doesn't matter who the person is, it doesn't matter what their credentials are, if they're teaching something that's different than what Scripture says, you don't follow it. He says, let that person be accursed. And the idea of being accursed is devoted to destruction and eternal hell. So false doctrine is not anything we need to play with. False teachers are not anything that you and I need to get so connected to and with that we don't, that we don't use our senses of discernment. Now, I buy books just like you guys do uh, that are written by people who are not members of the church. I am careful when I'm reading what I'm reading. And so if the person who wrote the book is off on some stuff, I will highlight it in my book and say wrong, or put a scripture in my book uh, that deals with this thing that exposes that. I don't just follow what, what is said there. You not need to use some discernment. It's just like eating fish. Uh, when I was growing up, you, you had to be careful of the bones. Now you get this fish that don't have no bones in it. But they tell you, be careful when you're eating fish. Pick out those bones. Don't just bite down on it. Uh, you might get a surprise. Now, how many of you have bitten down, eaten some fish, and you, you got a bone or two? It, it is no fun thing. And when I was coming up, they'd give you bread to eat. You know, help push that thing down. I don't know what they do for you guys uh, now. 
But Paul says anybody who's teaching false doctrine, who changes the doctrine, let him be a curse. Let him be somebody who's devoted to destruction and eternal hell. So don't play around with false teachers. The fact that you like him, you like her, does not change the fact that a significant amount of what they teach is false. Paul says, if anyone, in, in verse 9, if anyone comes and does that, and, and he gets to where he's referring to the false Jewish teachers, the Judaizers, who have been coming behind him, one trying to discredit Paul's authority as an apostle. But in the case of these people were telling Christians in Galatia that in order to become a Christian, you had to not only follow the Bible doctrine, but you also had to observe circumcision. Circumcision was a part of the old law, not a part of the new law. You and I need to be careful when we teach people the gospel. We don't add to it. We don't add stuff because we went through it. And you got to recognize there's a difference between the doctrine of scripture and church tradition. And, and a lot of our problems stem from church tradition, not doctrine of scripture. Which is why if you're going to teach somebody the gospel, teach it the way it is. Let God fix the person. Because the reality is the people in the world we live in today are not like the people that many of us grew up with. So you have people today, they are not going to dress up for church services. And some of us grew up at a time, you'd be shocked at how people are dressed. You, you, you think something's wrong with them. You dare come to church that way? But we, we got a generation, if they can come in flip-flops, they do that. They're just better for a concert than they will come to a worship service. I don't understand it. I didn't grow up there, but I know that's how people are. So I'm not going to get hung up on that. I just want them covering up because we got some that don't know how to cover up. Thankfully, we live in New England where it gets cold up here. You go down south, you go out west, and folk come dressed up and stuff, and you say, you ought to put a shawl on, or uh, you couldn't cover that up or whatnot. And folk, well, you shouldn't be looking at me. Well, I'm not blind. So I'm going to see what's there, and, and because I look at it does not mean I want it. Because some of us need to recognize, some of us grew up where only prostitutes showed all their goodies. And we got folks come to church and showing everything they got and, and, what, and what they want to get. <laughs> and we do well to go back and look at passages that talks about how a godly woman ought to dress. Now, I, I know it's old-fashioned, but a godly woman is not concerned about the outward stuff. She's concerned about the beauty of the inward person. And so I say to you brothers who get so fixated on how fine she is, but she's got an ugly personality, You'd be well to focus on finding somebody with a beautiful personality that radiates on the outside. So people who desert the faith seek another way of salvation. The Bible is clear. You got to hear, you got to believe, you got to repent, you got to confess, and you must be baptized. There is no other way you're going to get to Jesus. So praying the sinner's prayer, that's not biblical. That's not going to get you there. 
doing X number of good deeds, that's not going to get you there. Donating a large amount of money, that's not going to get you there. Being friends with the leaders and all that kind of stuff, that's not going to get you there. But in the world that we live in, that's what people do. And people accept them as they're saved. To desert the gospel means to trust someone or something more than you do God. There is nobody that you or I need to be trusting more than God. There is nothing that you possess that ought to be more important to you than God. You need to be clear of those things in your mind and the people around you need to understand that. So if, I, if God bless you with a car, we're going to ride the wheels off that thing and use it. We're not buying a car and spending all that kind of money to just have a showpiece. Okay? You get a, a, a nice big house. That's not for you to brag about because we're going to have some church folk who need a place to stay. And you brag about all these four or five bedrooms you got up in there. Okay, guess what's going to happen when we have somebody who needs a room? Sister Josephine, you got four or five bedrooms. We got a sister or brother that needs a place to stay. Can they stay with you? And if you say no, my question will be why? Because <laughs> the bedroom is empty. And if God gave you that, then you ought to be able to use it for God's purposes to help. They're not moving in forever. We, we got an emergency here. We need, we need to, some short place housing. You got a brand new car that's big. You got an SUV, Brandon. You ought to be able to pick up some folk who need a ride when you got the space. And, and he does it. That's why I picked on him, because I, he's already doing this. But some of the rest of you, you got these nice cars, and you know people need a ride, and you just, you get deaf. And here's an opportunity for you to use what God has blessed you with to help other folk. So to desert, to desert the gospel ultimately will lead to you missing eternal salvation. I don't know about you guys. I, I, I haven't spent all the time I spent in church services and Bible classes to die and go to hell. If I, if I were going to go to hell, I'm going to stop coming here. I'm going to just live it up. But if, but if I'm going to come here and uh, preach and teach and, and devote all this time, I'm going to make sure I'm right with God. I don't want, as Matthew chapter 7 says, uh, he says to folk, I don't know you, never knew you. Doesn't matter what you said you did for me, I never knew you. And so when you desert, when you move from your position that you ought to stay in, and you die, and you come up on judgment day thinking that you can offer this to Jesus, he's going to say, I never knew you. What appeal will you have then? Well, let me go ahead and end the lesson here. Four quick thoughts. <clears throat> First of all, don't doubt the gospel of Scripture. Don't let people cause you to be confused about what you believe or what you have been taught. Don't hang out with people who are always attacking your faith. So I learned a long time ago, I don't have time to be constantly defending what I believe and what I practice with folk who don't care anyway. They just want to antagonize you. And you're constantly going back and forth with them. They rob you of your joy. Find some people to hang out with who you can have good conversation, good fellowship with. You can talk about spiritual things, but not somebody that's always attacking your faith. 
Now, that doesn't mean you don't associate with people you're trying to teach the gospel to. So you got to recognize a difference. There are some friends of yours, some acquaintances of yours, some kinfolk, that all they want to do is try to destroy your faith. And you leave there mad and cursing at them. So you have sinned, supposedly trying to help somebody else see Jesus. How is that helpful? You need to recognize you may not be the one that can convert them. But you may also recognize what you now need to focus on is living right in front of those folk. There are a whole bunch of people, they need to see Christianity lived out, not somebody talking about it. There are a whole bunch of folk who are talking about it, but they're not living it. So don't doubt the gospel of Scripture. Recognize that you and I were saved to be different than the world. We live in a culture where everybody wants to get along, wants everybody to like you. You're supposed to stick out if you're a Christian. You're supposed to be different. You're supposed to handle situations differently. You're not supposed to fall apart just because adversity come in your life. Paul was stoned, almost killed. He didn't quit. He just got up, healed, and went on about his mission work. You and I got to learn how to roll with some obstacles that come in our life. Folk are going to die. And they may die on a Saturday. But Sunday is still coming. So the fact your relative died on Saturday does not mean you got to skip worship on Sunday. You guys hear me? Because some of us, that's what we'll do. Well, they'll understand because I had this death. Everybody who dies in your family does not have the same effect on you. I've had some relatives who died. I, I didn't know them, and so it didn't make no difference to me. But then I've had relatives who were close to me, and it bothered me. It affected my thinking. But you know what? I still gave God what was due him. And in the process of coming to worship, even though my mind was on that person, I felt better. I had a renewed focus. I could focus on the good memories of that person. And then after worship is over, I can call my family members and talk to them about the situation. Okay, you don't like that one. They downsize everybody in your department. Everybody else is flipping out. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? You got $500,000 in a 401k. Why are you falling apart? You got $500,000 in a 401k. Why are you falling apart? You got enough money now to carry you until the next job. Think about the people who get laid off. They don't have no money to carry them. And we complain. I've seen, I've seen people come wanting benevolence. Well. You know, I don't want to go into my 401k or any of that kind of stuff. I say, why not? How do you know you're going to live to retire where you can actually withdraw that? God has blessed you with this right now. Use it. And then let us help people who don't have those resources. See, we don't see how, how having those kind of, that's a blessing. Because there are other folks who don't have that. They've never been on a job where they were able to have those kind of retirement plans or anything like that. And here you are, yeah, you're without a job, but come on now. If you got the real skills, there's only a amount of time before you find another job. And it may not be in the area that you want. I remember, I, thought, I was frustrated when I, when I uh, graduated from graduate school. I want a job paying me what a master's degree person ought to have. Guess what the people I interviewed did? They laughed at me. They said, I appreciate the fact you got the education, but we need somebody with some experience. 
Okay, guess what happened? After I got the experience, then I can walk into the interview and say, I got the education and the experience. Now we can talk salary. I'm not at their discretion. You want me, this is what you got to pay me. But you got the experience and stuff like that. Stick with God. He will bring you out. Don't fear God's grace. A lot of times when we start talking about grace, people think, well, that's going to give people license to just do whatever. For the child of God, grace does not give us the license to continue in sin. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Paul says to the Romans, God forbid. So hearing about God's grace does not make us go sin wild. Being a recipient of God's grace helps us to be thankful and appreciative and recognize he's given me something that I didn't deserve. And how can I mishandle it? How can I take it for granted? How can I act like it just gives me a license to just do wrong? And then recognize, finally, that Jesus came to bring peace between God and man. In the garden, there was peace between God and man. Satan got in the mix. And then there was enmity between God and man. The only way to fix that was for Jesus to come. And Jesus became the bridge to bring God and man back together again. And as a result of that, you and I have access to the gift of salvation. Jesus helps us to become a friend of God. We're no longer enemies. And I don't know about you, but I'm happy that God is on my side. I am happy that I am no longer an enemy of God. If you are a sinner, you're not saved, you are an enemy of God, and you are without protection. See, that's safety, security in our relationship with Jesus. And I would encourage you, if you're a part of the audience today, you're not a Christian, you're not a child of God, you need to become one. Because there's no safety, there's no security in, in just being out there on your own. Recognize that Jesus died for you. He gave his life for you. He shed his blood for you. And the only response that's reasonable from that is to say, Jesus, thank you. I want to live a life that glorifies you. And in order to do that, the response you need to do is to recognize and commit to him as being Lord of your life and be baptized in water for the forgiveness of sins. And he will add you to his church, the church of Christ, where there's safety and security and there's a whole spiritual family. I grew up uh, where there were six of us in my immediate family. I do not know what it's like to be an only child. I, I can't even imagine that. You always had somebody to play with. You always had somebody to fight with. But there was always somebody else there. You learn how to share. There's some things that you learn how to do because of the family situation you're in. And even an only child, when they become a Christian, they're no longer an only child. Now they got brothers and sisters to play with and learn with and fight with and fuss with. But they get a sense of how community helps us to grow. If you need to respond to the invitation today, please do so as we stand and sing.